0: If you like the Maniac and the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. <laughs> If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood, Maniac on the Loose. Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for our newsletter, and I'll give you some free stuff. And now, sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. The Red Light District. I used to be a homicide detective, but I got tired of all the politics and red tape that went with that job, so I quit and have been making a nice living as a private detective for many years. I was recently hired by a woman to follow her husband. She suspected that he was being unfaithful and wanted proof of his infidelity. I followed the mark to the red light district of the city, and within minutes, a prostitute was leaning into his window. They talked for a minute or so, and then she got into his vehicle. It wasn't enough for me just to witness him pick up a hooker. I was getting paid extra to catch him in the act and obtain visual proof. She wanted this done for divorce purposes. The spouse was smart and wanted there to be no doubt about his adulterous act before she took the evidence to her divorce attorney. I followed them to a seedy hotel that charges by the hour. I slipped the desk clerk 20 bucks for their room number and a spare key. I stood outside their door and waited for several minutes until I began to hear moans of pleasure. At that point, I unlocked the door slowly pushed it open and began filming with my camera phone the prostitute was riding this mark like a pony they didn't even hear me open the door i had to clear my throat loudly to get the mark to rise up enough so that i could get a nice clear shot of his face say cheese he fumbled around trying to get the hooker off him while simultaneously feeling around for his pants I chuckled as I trotted through the hall, down the stairs, and out the hotel door. Easy night of work. As I was heading back to my car, I passed an alleyway. It was a dark alley only lit by moonlight. A perfect spot for someone to park with a prostitute for a simple BJ. As I passed by, the clickety-clack of high-heeled shoes got my attention enough for me to take a gander down the alleyway. There was a car parked about midway down the alley. The clickety-clack was coming from the prostitute who was rounding the front of the vehicle, carrying something large over her shoulder. I couldn't make her out well, just a poofy-haired silhouette of a lean woman. In addition to the distinct clickety-clack of her heels, I could hear the jingling of what was likely a lot of jewelry. I instinctively took cover in the shadow so as not to be seen and watched as she carried the large load toward a dumpster a few feet from the car. Whatever it was that she was carrying must have been light because she tossed it into the dumpster with ease. I then watched on as she walked back to the car and opened the driver's side door. She gave a motion as though she were going to get in but then froze and her head jetted around in my direction. I ducked around the corner but wasn't sure if I was spotted or not. I kept my position until I heard the car's engine rev to life. I then peered around the corner and watched as the car drove down the alley and disappeared into the night. I'm curious by nature, I guess that's one of the reasons I'm a good detective. I was dying to know what she tossed in that dumpster. Since the coast was clear, I pulled out a penlight to help guide my way down the dark alley to the dumpster. When I got there, I opened the plastic lid and shined my flashlight inside. I've seen a lot of dead bodies in my day, so I wasn't shocked or disgusted by the dead body lying in the dumpster amidst all kinds of other garbage. The body was that of a man in his mid to late 40s, average size, his skin was an extreme shade of pale blue and was pruned. I could call this into the detectives at Homicide, but where was the fun in that? I didn't have any other PI jobs lined up for the next few days, so I took it upon myself to look into this a little more before I reported anything. When I got back home, I was able to log into the Homicide Records website. Being that I'm no longer employed by the department, my old credentials no longer work to get me in, but I know a few backdoor ways to get inside the system. After a couple hours of digging around, I found a trend. The body I saw wasn't the only body that had turned up like this. All around the country, there were average Joes turning up dead in dumpsters. None were connected. Most were working men. Some had families, others did not. But they all apparently died from a drug overdose. Usually heroin. The cities these bodies were being found in were scattered all over the country. Chicago, LA, New York, Houston, San Francisco, Seattle, Miami, New Orleans, and the list went on and on. It was always a populated city in which the bodies were found, which I don't think was a coincidence. Most big cities have a fair share of drug overdose cases, thus the book on most would be shut quickly. The fact that this was happening in so many random big cities and were all drug overdoses would keep people from suspecting a serial killer. Honestly, I probably wouldn't have suspected it either had I not seen someone dump the body. And there was one other unusual thing about these deaths. The deceased men's cars were usually found in a random parking lot a few blocks from where the body was dumped. If this were a serial killer's work, that would make sense. They dump the body in the dumpster. It probably won't be found for a little while. Some might never be found. And separating them from their vehicle delays any investigation. Most of those cars are just going to be towed after a week or more. Nobody is going to start looking into that. Not until someone reports the person missing. So we had a sneaky killer out there who didn't really care too much about their victims being found, but always had a knack for keeping it from looking like a homicide. Thus, no one is making much of a fuss over it. Who was that mysterious prostitute that I witnessed toss a dead body into a dumpster like a sack of rolled-up paper? I had to know. The next few nights, I did some snooping around the red light district, primarily checking out darkened alleys. I found a lot of them were occupied with vehicles, but there was just regular prostitute business going on. Now, if I were some kind of peeping Tom pervert, I may have called the first two nights of searching a success, but I am no sicko, so I considered them non-productive. It was the third night that was the charm. I had parked near the center of the red light district and found a street that housed three different dark alleys for me to check on. I thought it best to sleuth around on foot. I was dressed in black so I could blend in with the shadows and not be easily spotted. The first alley was occupied with three cars and all appeared to be normal for the red light district. The second alley had one car in it. It was quiet, and for a moment I thought it might be something of interest, but then I heard an orgasmic moan and moved on toward the third alley. As I neared the final alley's entrance, I heard the familiar clickety-clack of high heels and the subtle jingle of jewelry. I stealthily peeked my head around the corner and spied into the alley once again i watched as the poofy-haired silhouette of a woman hurled a dead body into the dumpster she then nonchalantly strolled back to the car got in and drove down the alley i waited until the car turned the corner and high-tailed it as fast as i could down the alley when i emerged out the other end i turned and saw the car in question stopped at a streetlight I hailed a cab and instructed the driver to follow the vehicle. I had him keep a fair distance and watched on as the car was parked in a crowded parking lot. I witnessed a poofy haired blonde emerge from the vehicle. I can make her out well under the beaming lights of the parking lot. She was scantily clad in a tight black skirt with fishnet stockings and fire engine red high heels. She was wearing a snug wife-beater tank top that was tied in the front, and she was decked out with an array of necklaces and bracelets. I watched as she tossed the car keys in a nearby garbage can and headed back toward the main section of the red light district. I paid the cabbie and followed her on foot to an active street for streetwalkers. She kept in the shadows away from the other hookers and waited patiently for someone to drive up and solicit her, which eventually somebody did. I watched as she talked to the driver for a moment before entering the vehicle. I started jogging behind it as it drove off. I was about to hail a cab, but fortunately the car pulled into an alley not far away. When I finally reached it, I stepped inside the alley and took cover behind a trash can. I watched as the car began to rock back and forth, not in a sexual manner, but a violent one. I could hear the man let out a quick yell of anguish before all went silent. It was about five minutes later when the woman emerged from the vehicle with the man's body over her shoulder. I lifted my camera up and took one quick picture as she tossed the body into the dumpster. Her head spun around toward me as if she heard the click of the camera, but the camera was practically silent, so there was no way she could have heard that. I thought. I was spotted. I stood up and had the option of confronting the assailant or fleeing. I don't intimidate easily, but with the way this woman was tossing around bodies like they were raggedy Ann dolls, I opted to flee. I expected to hear the clickety-clack of the prostitute's heels as she gave chase, but instead I heard a loud whoosh sound and felt a breeze blow past me. In an instant, the hooker was standing in front of me. Her eyes were burning red and she was snarling, revealing sharp pointed fangs that were stained with fresh blood. Before I could move, she wrapped her long, nailed hand around my throat and lifted me up in the air like I was a toy. She then let out a deep, hollow growl. I knew I was about to die. There was no way out of this. My fate was in her hands. Literally. After a few seconds, she pulled me in so that my face was close to hers. I could smell the metallic salty scent of blood on her breath. My heart was thudding like a drum within my chest. I could actually hear it. I thought there was a fairly good chance that I might die from a heart attack before this vampire woman could kill me. After a few seconds she lowered me all the way to the ground and let me go. I stood motionless. I was not going to do anything without her permission. Her instructions to me were clear. Never tell anyone what you saw, and never come to the red light district again. I tried to speak to confirm that I understood, but no words were coming out of my mouth, so I just nodded my head vigorously. I guess she found that amusing as she smiled before puckering up and giving me a hard kiss on the mouth. She then gave me a parting grin, and with that, the mysterious vampire woman stepped out of the alley and back under the gloomy glow of the red light district. free time I love to fish I have the perfect quiet fishing spot it's quite secluded so I always have it to my own and it's only about 20 minutes from my house to get to my fishing hole I have to travel down multiple twisty gravel roads and then eventually I turn off onto a trail that goes several miles into the woods at the end of the trail is a clearing The lake is about a five-minute walk from there. Over the weekend, when I turned onto the trail, I heard what I initially thought was someone setting off firecrackers up ahead of me. I started getting worried that maybe someone else had discovered my prime fishing location. When I reached the clearing, I was shocked at what I discovered. There were two dark SUV-type vehicles parked in the clearing. They were facing each other, but there was about 20 feet in between them. The driver's side door on each vehicle was ajar. I immediately noticed the blood and the dead bodies. On one side, near one of the vehicles, there were two men dressed in black suits and wearing black sunglasses. On the other side, near the other vehicle, was a man in khaki pants and a shirt and tie. I could see some kind of white lab coat sitting in the driver's seat of the vehicle that apparently belonged to him. I approached cautiously and called out to see if anyone else was in earshot. I got no response, so I inspected things more closely. All three men were sprawled out on the ground and had guns in their hands. Clearly, they had an old-fashioned shootout. One of the men in black had been shot in the head the other in the heart the man in the shirt and tie had multiple shots to his abdomen and chest in between the bodies was a briefcase i deducted that this briefcase was the likely source of friction between the two parties obviously this was some kind of exchange gone bad the fact that they decided to come all the way out here in the middle of nowhere to make the exchange told me that this was either something illegal, top secret, or both. Whatever the situation was between these men, my hunch was that the briefcase I was staring at was stuffed with cash. Probably untraceable cash. And all three of these men were dead. If I took the briefcase, who would know? I grabbed the briefcase, got back into my car, and raced home. When I got home, I laid the briefcase out on the kitchen table. Fortunately, there was no locking mechanism. I unlatched it and slowly opened up the briefcase. There was no cash inside as I had hoped. The only thing inside was a steel cube. The briefcase was clearly made for the cube as there was a plush compartment in the middle of the case that the cube fit in perfectly. I removed the cube and inspected it. I'm not sure if i was more disappointed or curious what was so important about this little metallic cube that could fit in the palm of my hand was this really what those men killed each other over i looked at it closer it didn't look like anything special it was just a steel cube it was very light and when i put it next to my ear and shook it I could hear something rattling around inside, kind of like BBs. I set the cube down on the table and began considering my next move. If this were worth something, I would have no idea who to sell it to, and since it was of no value to me, I thought my best move would be to get rid of it, maybe throw it in the woods somewhere or just take it to the garbage dump. As I considered my options, the cube started to shake and jump, kind of like a Mexican jumping bean. Then it began to emit white light from its edges. I stepped away from the cube and started to panic, wondering what I should do. This thing could be a bomb for all I knew! As the light grew brighter, steam began to hiss out of the cube at a ferocious pace. Within a few seconds, the entire room was fogged over. I was about to run out of the house in fear that I may be breathing in some kind of toxic gas when the fog quickly dissipated inward, forming a humanoid shape. This was followed by a burst of magnificent light. There was a creature standing before me. I think I screamed when I saw it. The creature was about four feet tall. It had a large head and sideways oval eyes that were blazing red. Its skin appeared smooth and olive green. Its arms were short and muscular. Its mouth was enormous and lined with long, needle-like teeth. It stared at me for a few seconds before its monstrous mouth opened, and it let out the most hideous roar. I ran toward the door, but it moved like a flash and blocked my path. It snarled as it approached me, moving me back into a corner. I collapsed and curled up into a fetal position as I whimpered and begged for my life. The creature's bright red eyes slowly darkened until they were black, and it closed its intimidating mouth. It was almost as though it knew that I was just an innocent bystander who was not associated with the people I obtained the cube from. It stepped back away from me and began gazing around at its surroundings. I began to stand up and its eyes turned back into fiery red ovals of rage, and once again it revealed its needle teeth and roared. I dropped back down to the floor and curled up in the corner. Once again, The monster's eyes shifted back to black, and it calmed down. Apparently it was fine with me as long as I stayed curled up in the corner, so that's exactly what I did. I watched on as the creature began to ransack my house. It ripped apart my refrigerator, oven, television, computer, and just about every other electronic component I had. The guts of my electronics were scattered all about the room. At first I thought the creature was just raging, but then I realized there was a method to the monster's madness, and it began assembling pieces of the devices together. It was so fast it moved in a blur, and in less than an hour, a small craft of some sort sat in the middle of my house. It was saucer-shaped and about five feet across. It was crudely assembled with various red, blue, and yellow wires zigzagging over the exterior of the craft. I watched on as the creature flipped a few switches on the side of the object, and the craft began to hum and levitate. The creature then turned back to me and let out another hideous roar before it crawled into the vehicle. The vehicle shot upwards, ripping my roof to shreds. It then lit up like a laser beam and disappeared into the night. I stayed in the corner for another half hour before I moved. I didn't want to risk the creature coming back and displaying its disapproval again. I looked around my pillaged house. It was a disaster. But all in all, I was just glad that the monster allowed me to live to fish another day. Little girl. I woke up to the sound of crying. But I was alone in the house. I grabbed my cell phone and checked the time. It was 3 o'clock a.m. The crying continued. It was distant. It sounded like it was coming from a room at the far end of the hall. The house had no electricity, so I activated the flashlight on my cell phone which illuminated the room I was in. This was the biggest room of the second floor and the only one with a bed. I honestly thought I would be able to lie down and just sleep until 6 o'clock in the morning and I might have been able to if it weren't for the crying. It was clearly a child, a little girl. I held the light in front of me as I exited the room and began walking down the endless hallway. I passed countless rooms. There were pictures on the wall between each room. They were all dusty and covered in cobwebs to the point where I couldn't make out what the pictures were of. Except for the portraits. There were multiple portraits of a suited man standing and holding the hand of a little girl in an Easter dress. The man had black hair, dark eyes, and a well-groomed mustache. The little girl had blonde hair tied in pigtails. Both the man and the child held expressions of sadness. The peculiar thing was that every portrait of them was exactly the same except for their attire. The man's suit was a different color in each portrait, as was the little girl's dress. Otherwise, the portraits were identical. They were also clean. No dust, no cobwebs, not a speck of dirt. I was getting close to the end of the hallway and could tell that the child's crying was emanating from the last door on the right. I could see that the door was already open, but it may as well have been closed as the room was pitch black. The second I stepped from the hallway into the room, the child's crying stopped and fell silent. As I walked deeper into the room and scanned around using my light, I could make out that the room was small and void of any furniture. There was a window on the far wall the wall next to that had a closet if there was a child in this room that's where they had to be I didn't want to freak myself out any more than I already was so I hurried to the closet door and quickly opened it I wasn't surprised that it was empty I knew I was alone I had walked through every room in the huge decrepit old house as soon as I arrived there wasn't a soul in sight and the floors were worn and rickety they creaked like a scream with every step there was no hiding in this house i was definitely alone this fact sent shivers down my spine as i walked back down the hallway as i walked i quickly shone my cell phone flashlight into each room i passed They were all empty of possessions and people. I stopped when I shined my light into the bathroom. There was an old-fashioned high-tank pull-chain toilet next to a freestanding bathtub. I knew the house had no running water, but my bladder didn't care about that. I walked to the toilet and relieved myself. As I turned around, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror on the wall. In the reflection, I saw the little girl from the portrait. She was standing directly behind me. I screamed and jumped. My cell phone slipped from my hand and slid across the floor. The flashlight on the phone went dead and I found myself enveloped by darkness. I dropped to my hands and knees and started feeling around the floor for my cell phone. I was blind without the light. My hands were sliding all over the cold, gritty floor. I felt multiple insect carcasses and dust bunnies. Finally, my fingertips bumped the edge of my phone, pushing it a few feet, but at least I knew approximately where it was. I reached out and placed my hand on my phone, but instead of feeling the hard surface of the phone, I felt the cold, clammy hand of a child. I stumbled to my feet and ran. The house was so dark, but fortunately there was enough moonlight shining through the cracked windows for me to find my way to the giant, winding staircase that would take me to the main floor of the house. As I started racing down the stairs, I could hear the dainty steps running behind me along with the little girl's voice saying, Play with me. The footsteps behind me were quickening. The little girl was closing in on me as I reached the bottom of the stairs and darted to the front door. I could feel the little girl's dead hand tugging on the back of my shirt as I turned the doorknob and ran from the house. I ran through the overgrown yard to the street where the fraternity members were waiting for me. They were laughing and cheering me on. I was surprised at their celebratory mood. I expected them to be disappointed with me. The Pledge Master put his arm around me and congratulated me for officially being accepted into the Fraternal Brotherhood. I was confused, but I failed the initiation. I didn't stay in the house until 6 a.m. like I was supposed to. I, I didn't make it. He chuckled and said, Nobody ever makes it. That house is haunted as hell. you enjoyed the show we're dying for you to come back for more (laughs) please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on we'll see you soon very soon